Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast, a series of discussions with the most disruptive CEOs and leaders in digital health. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Breaking Health Podcast, episode number 127. This is your opening act, Tom Salemi. Our star, Steve Krupp, will be by just shortly. Steve, of course, the CEO of Health Edge. Our guest today, well, you know when we speak generally about those tech folks who are finding their way into healthcare? Well, today we offer you a voice and a name, and if you look at your podcast image on your phone, a face to that trend. Our guest today is Ponit Sony. Panit worked at Google, Intel, Flipkart, and other tech companies. Today, he's the CEO of Suki, a company that's working to make a digital assistant think Alexa for physicians. This will enable them to enter data to make them more doctor, kind of less data entry clerk. So in this interview with Steve, Panit details the origins of Suki and his plans for the future. I know you'll enjoy this conversation. Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast. I'm here with Puneet Sony, the CEO of Suki. Welcome to the podcast, Puneet. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I mean, I was looking through your background. You've done a lot of cool stuff in technology. You know, you got the, the, the cell phone and Google. Um, and then, of course, you've been an advisor on on the startup side. And, and now you've sort of taken the, the plunge to become an entrepreneur. Um, and we'll talk about what your your company does around uh, yeah. around solving some some big issues for physicians in in just a minute. But but give me a sense and and then listen to a sense of what what inspired you uh, to start Suki. Um, you know that's a very good question. Thank you for having me again, Steve. Uh, my background is a I always joke with people it's a little all over the place. Um, I I started. In, uh, in enterprise software. Uh, by training, I'm an electrical engineer, so I did some electronic design automation work early on in my career, and then uh, was in venture investing. And then one thing that I ended up going to Google, uh, was in the search team as a product manager, uh, ended up running the mobile apps group, and then uh, worked on mobile games, social, and when we acquired Motorola, I was asked to go run hardware. Uh, and then my last gig was actually being the head of product of an e-commerce company. So I always joke with people that given all the other sectors I've been at, it's only logical that I should do healthcare now. <laughs> uh, so, so, so I'm actually, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I would say that if I had to look at just the serendipity of various sectors, then healthcare makes sense. But there's a little bit of a deeper reason. A lot of people ask starting the company, why would you do this? And many people have some interesting deep personal reason to do it. In my case, actually, I would argue that it's basically pure ambition. Um, I had done a variety of different things at Google and outside of it. I felt that uh, if I was going to do a startup, uh, it uh, is probably going to be, uh, has to have at least a very, very small, but a very important chance of being a very important technology company. And uh, I would say that the largest, biggest, most interesting tech company ever built is going to be in healthcare, hmm. and uh, uh, the, the there is a point zero zero one percent chance that Suki will be it, but there is a point zero zero one percent chance that Suki can be it. And so, 
Uh, I don't know if it's going to take five years, 10 years, or 20 years, but the greatest tech company ever built, greater than Google, greater than Amazon, greater than Facebook, uh, is going to be in healthcare. Uh, and so then if I was going to start something, I wanted to actually take a shot in a space that there was a, at least a, a shot at doing that. So that's one big reason. Um, the second was I wanted to obviously make sure that whatever I was doing now at this part of my career, um, I could go home every day and know that I was adding real and clear value to society. And, uh, and nobody can argue that healthcare is the most uh, one of the most human of uh, of sectors to actually work in it. It really tangibly changes people's lives on a day-to-day basis. Um, so that was another reason. And, um, and and so if you put it all together, uh, I would say that uh, there are very few sectors to actually really be in if you want to do something for the next 10, 15 years of your life and actually take a shot at uh, making a difference. And um, that's kind of how I ended up in this space. Cool. Yeah, you'll be here if you, if you stay because we need you. You know, the... Um... <laughs> The healthcare sector isn't known for its, uh, you know, for 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 technology greatness. At least not yet. You know, I think I look at it and I say, boy, you know, this is some pretty old stuff we run on. You know, what do you think? No, you're very right. I think there's a lot of different uh, interesting observations. Uh, you have to keep in mind that unlike you and others who are experts, my my um, you know understanding and 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 exposure to healthcare is all of twenty months, right? And so. Uh, I have the the negative of learning a lot in a steep learning curve, but a benefit of having a little bit of a naive point of view on where things are um, and, uh, and a fresh point of view. I think there's some observations that I've had so far that I think you probably will concur with. Uh, first, um, I think in general, technology has tried to help in healthcare, but has mostly been used in a way that it's become a disservice. Mm-hmm. Um, it uh, slows people down, frustrates them, increases the cost of delivery, has not really led to uh, a real, uh, the human quality of technology where it benefits uh, people on a day-to-day basis has somewhat been missing in healthcare. So I think that's one observation I've had. I think second, um, I think that uh, healthcare tech has hitherto been the domain of uh, a lot of Technologists who walk in and think they can change healthcare but don't have any uh, connection or understanding of what the real uh, clinicians and practitioners and patients actually really are feeling as they're going through it. So, so you have a little bit of a the arrogant technologist syndrome. Uh, I think I'll fix healthcare and, and building tech that's actually interesting but has no real tangible um, a, a quality of fixing a real healthcare problem. Um, and then there is the other category of people who are doctors who basically see an uh, issue and know it intimately and then think health technology is just IT and so they just find an IT guy and somehow try to put it together. And so the combination of those two is uh, low quality tech that actually is not really, uh, that is perhaps solving a problem, real problem and high quality tech that's really not solving a problem. And one of the key things that I wanted to do with Suki was make sure that uh, we could combine really, really awesome technologists with great clinicians. Mm-hmm. Um, so that we have both the humility of knowing that we don't understand everything in healthcare, but the ability to actually build something that can fix that problem. So, so yeah, so going back to your point, I think we're going to be here for a long time. If I'm lucky enough to survive for 10, 15 years, then you will be talking about Suki as a really relevant, important company that changed something in healthcare. Um, so my job is to basically make sure I survive. Yeah. No, I listen. I love. I I like what you say. I I hear. Well, you know, I'm, I'm I've done. Um, feels like over. You know, 
well over 100 interviews for this particular uh, podcast. And, you know, they've all been with CEOs. And I'd say 80% of them are with uh, CEOs of tech startups or tech companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm running a tech company myself. So I, I mm-hmm. look at the, the health healthcare landscape and um, it, it, it definitely lags from a standpoint of adopting, you know, newer technologies, particularly, you know, if you think about just from computing infrastructure point of view and, uh, mm-hmm. and some of the, you know, innovations that have happened in the last 10 or 15 years as, as Google and Facebook and LinkedIn and all those companies have sort of gotten bigger and learned to scale in different ways. Um, but then I also find that, that as, as you point out, people say, well, I'm going to go and I'm going to use those architectures uh, but I'm really not sure what I'm going to do with them, and and it's sort of like yeah. searching for a purpose is is a lot of what's happened. Clearly, you think you've you found a purpose. Uh, so when yeah, I mean, I'm assuming, otherwise you 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 know you, you it must have been part of those observations that led you to this current purpose. Is that a fair fair op- uh, yeah, suggestion? No, it's it's uh, you know you're very right. I think. Uh, yes, of course. I mean, if I didn't believe I found this purpose, I wouldn't you know take. Uh, put my entire career and put it on the line for this one, uh, this thing. I think, I think what happens in healthcare is that first of all, uh, because of the unbelievable amount of uh, structure and bureaucracy and uh, and regulation uh, in healthcare, uh, it is a lot of work to so, um, to basically uh, even have a little bit of traction. And uh, you know, I always like somewhat half jokingly tell a lot of my friends that, you know, in Suki, the amount of products we have had to build to actually just kick off pilots, uh, in most other sectors, I would have basically had a well-functioning, fully-fledged business already. Uh, Now, admittedly, we're only 20 months in, so we have a long way to go, but the amount of work you have to do to actually create a little bit of momentum in healthcare is inordinately higher, probably an order of magnitude higher than other uh, other sectors. So what happens then is a lot of uh, smart technologists who actually may have the empathy and understanding to actually take a shot at this are intimidated. Uh, If you're going to start a company, you want to start it from a position of strength. And there's so many other sectors that are somewhat lower hanging uh, fruit that people can actually go take a shot at. So I think that syndrome does definitely exist. Um, I think in our case, uh, there are a couple of things that we did uh, that hopefully help us. Uh, First, uh, at Suki, uh, every company should know who their user is. My user is a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, every single pixel in the uh, in the company is in the service of the doctor, um, and I have all respect for the CFOs and the CIOs and the CMIOs. We have to collaborate and work with them to get things done. Uh, but our decisions are made on what's basically the best decision, uh, what is actually going to make the doctor happier, and probably going to serve the doctor. So, so for one, I would say, if you have a clarity of thought around who your user is. In general, you find that uh, on a day-to-day basis, your strategy and product development is a lot clearer. Yes, it can be painful, but it is clearer because you know that these are the right calls to make. Uh, So that's probably one thing that's going for us. I think the second thing is that uh, um, uh, before I started the company, I I spent about five, six months embedded in a large health system in the East Coast, mostly trying to just see how data flows. And uh, even though all of my career has been in building product, uh, I think that when you're doing a startup, especially in healthcare, the first problem to solve is go to market, not product. You have to know if somebody is going to buy your product, what budget will it take off, 
and uh, and how what problem will it solve such that there is a lot of desperation to actually uh, uh, adopt the product and so with this idea of uh, clinician burnout because of documentation and other things uh, the fact that you spend two to three hours a day an average doctor spends two to three hours a day doing clicking and typing things uh, the fact that it costs six hundred thousand dollars to replace a doctor uh, it's pretty clear that the go-to market is there and the question just is can you build the product and so mm-hmm. for me um, you know having an understanding of who the user is having a relatively good understanding of how the go-to market is and then something that's very critical um, which I'll mention and then I'll pause and let you kind of take it in whichever direction you want to I think um, we made a call very early on that we will actually make sure that our leadership is equal technologists and uh, and doctors and clinicians. Um, and I actually uh, got the doctors and clinicians to join, uh, the clinicians to join not in uh, the typical chief medical officer or medical director roles, but actually on line roles, like line functions. So my chief operating officer, Dr. Nathan Gunn is an internist from UCSF, McKinsey guy who's been a CEO and president of three healthcare companies before this. <laughs> my head of product is a practicing trauma surgeon who uh, who works Monday to Friday on uh, uh, on uh, you know on Suki, uh, does calls at Kaiser here in Santa Clara uh, as a trauma surgeon uh, on the side. And so I have people who actually live, breathe this thing because they are the users. And I think combining that with good technology gives us somewhat of a leg up. Uh, though the jury's out, we have a long way to go. Hey, everyone, Tom here. I just want to take a quick break from this podcast to let you know that we put out our fifth episode of Healthcare is Hard. Our host, Keith Figlioli of LRV Health, talks with Mark Kerouac. Mark Kerouac is the president and CEO of Bay State Health. Bay State's a highly innovative, low-cost healthcare found way, kind of away from the, the, the Boston area, in Western Massachusetts. It's a really cool healthcare system in the Connecticut River Valley. It's in Springfield. And in this podcast, Mark Kerouac discusses the power of discipline innovation, power of productive paranoia for a CEO, and why he lets innovators get behind his system's firewall, what it's really done for innovation at Bay State. So I think you'll enjoy it. Please check it out. The podcast is called Healthcare is Hard. It's on iTunes and other uh, other platforms for podcasts. I know you'll enjoy it. Now let's get back into this conversation. Yeah, no, the um, the whole value of the subject matter expert um, when you're building software is, you know, not paramount. At this at this point, it's really, you know, we, we sit here in, in my organization and we say, well, what what causes our, what, what are, where, where are the, where, where are the parameters of waste in, in the product building process? And it almost always mm-hmm. is we miss a requirement and we missed a requirement because we just didn't get the user experience right or we didn't get the business process that we're trying to change right and then you know we we Absolutely. you know we conclude you just can't have enough subject matter expertise to harness if you want to build a great product right no you're very right and you know what happens to you with this is that um you no matter how empathetic you are as a human being and how observant you are you don't know how it is to be a particular role. So how would I know what it is to be a doctor? How do I know what it is to be a trauma surgeon if I have to do a 24-hour call, stay up all night, do like 15 different procedures, and then at 7 in the morning, somebody has checked into the ER that I would take care of and sign off before I can leave. It's just not possible for me, no matter how much I observe, to actually be 
understanding of that state of mind and know the kind of procedures I have to do and the the surgery that I have to do actually do things right. And so I'll give you a very simple example. I think uh, uh, there's a lot of people who come to us and say, "Oh, well, you're building a digital assistant. How about it actually give people nudges uh, for clinical decision support?" You know, as they're actually seeing a patient, it gives you some information that hopefully helps you make better decisions. Um, sounds like a pretty uh, interesting thing. There is a lot of companies trying to do clinical decision support work. Um, there's a lot of people with protocols that actually enable these things, and Suki would look like a perfect delivery to do that. Uh, the truth is doctors hate it. Right? <laughs> it. They find it intrusive. Right? They find it disrespectful. They find it most of the time it's useless. Uh, they feel that administrators have just kind of like created uh, these protocols to bind them uh, into ways of doing things that take them away from the practice of medicine that they have learned. Now, how would I know that, right? But I can know that if I have a Nate or Aaron or somebody else in my team. And so it's a small nuance, but there are hundreds of nuances like these that actually come in play if you have a good, solid team of both kinds of people working yeah. on you. With you. So let's get into to what you're actually doing. I, I, I'll share with you. You know, I remember um, a couple of times going to see my doctor. He's he's got Epic because he's part of a medical practice, which is hospital affiliated. He comes in to see see me, and he sure he sits down in front of his computer and he, he types while he talks to me. You know, and then he mm-hmm. gets up and he examines me a little bit. And I was, you know, like like you, I'm kind of a tech guy. I'm just watching this. And try, and I'm looking at this and I'm going, this is a horrible experience for this guy. He's, <laughs> yeah. he's a doctor, and I would say to you, he spent 80% of the time he was with me typing on a computer. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it felt the time, and he's a good doctor too, it's felt the times that he was mostly focused on, on how to navigate the activities on his computer uh, then perhaps he was really trying to dig into why I was there to see him. So as I walked out of uh, of the office, I said to myself, "Man, there's there's got to be a better way, right? For this for this relationship between the doctor and the, and the EHR, which looks like a pretty you know it feels like you know if you looked at it from afar, you'd say the EHR is the boss of that relationship, and that's not the way technology is supposed to work. And I'm getting the impression, although you know I haven't seen a demo of your product." That you're trying to reverse that and make the physician the boss of the EHR is that is that is that yeah uh, I mean is that what's going on? That's a fair assessment. I think that there is a lot of nuances to this. You know, I think to your point, uh, we have taken these amazing, uh, you know, uh, highly professional, highly educated class of people, and we have basically made them like data monkeys. You know, they just sit there clicking things and and typing stuff in. Um, Doctors spend two to three hours a day doing this work. You know, I think a good analogy that I used to have when I started looking at this work, like uh, this seems like I told my VP of engineering that for every line of code that his team writes, he has to write a line of comment. And uh, if uh, the, you know, basically I'll pay him based on the number of comments he wrote, and then if the product fails, I'll sue him. Right? It <laughs> seems like we took we took we took these uh, these doctors and basically kind of like walk them into, into this massive mess of documentation and billing, et cetera. So to your point, you know, they're disconnected from you, but they were not trained to be. They're highly empathetic people. More importantly, some may actually want to work 
uh, on, on taking care of you and then go home and take care of and hang out with their families. Well, now they spend two to three hours a day after they go home doing this stuff. So the problem is real. Um, it's probably more uh, bigger of a public health crisis uh, than in, that nobody knows. It's probably the biggest public health crisis we have in the country today. Um, now, uh, I actually think that EHRs, whether, I mean, it's actually fascinable to kind of like say they're horrible. Yep. But the truth is the EHRs are a little bit of a product of uh, this system and society and regulations that put around it. Um, somebody started it. It was supposed to be good. Then everybody kept laying on various things they need from it. And then generally you keep adding on legacy on top of legacy software. You end up in a place where it's a little bit of a, uh, a collection of things and not really a thoughtfully written product. So, um, so I would say that EHRs are a little bound by whatever they set up they were actually supposed to work in. What I actually think we are trying to do is not see if the doctors can be the boss of the EHR or something else. I think what we want is the doctors to be basically the boss of their own lives. Mm-hmm. Um, they need to practice medicine. Uh, they need to re- rediscover the joy of practicing medicine and focusing on the patient and know that most of the grunt work, the administrative work that's surrounding them can actually be done relatively painlessly. And then if they say that time, you know, and by using Suki, by the way, we have the time motion studies shown that you can save 50 to 70% of all time taken in administrative work today. So if you're spending two hours a day and you save one hour back, some doctors might go and see one more patient. Uh, other doctors might go and uh, play soccer with their kids. Uh, we don't have any judgment on what they want to do. All we care about is making sure the doctors can get their time back. Cool. So how are you doing it? Like what's, what's, uh, what's making it all tick? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a very good question. And, you know, the problem with voice products is that uh, it's an irony that it's very hard to explain you know, on a talk show, but I'll tell you uh, at a high level, what the, what the, um, the ambition is uh, at the, the naivest possible level. I think some people call it an Alexa for doctors or a Suki or a Siri for doctors. I actually think they'll be there and they'll say Suki for doctors. Um, uh, the, which means that you have an always-on ambient, active voice-based digital assistant. Um, you know, and uh, initially you can do things. It's a little, I mean, it's a, still a little uh, dumb in that it's proactive. You have to, like, specifically and proactively tell it things. And so today doctors can say things like, uh, hey, Suki, uh, you know, uh, add to history. This is 67-year-old who's got hyperkalemia. Um, Suki prescribed doxycycline X milligrams over Y week. Um, Suki makes sure this person comes for a follow-up visit. And Suki will take those mix of some dictation but some commands and create a clinically comprehensive note out of it. And then when you say Suki, I'm done, it'll automatically break the note apart, put it in the right place in the EMR, and stage it such that the doctor can just sign off. And so, you know, something that would take 15 minutes of writing before now takes like two to three minutes of just quick, simple commands. We have actual orthopedic surgeons who will step out and say something like, Suki, for the last patient, left knee was normal, right knee was normal, except range of motion was 120 degrees, prepare a cortisone shot. The plan is typically what I do for this particular uh, situation, Suki stop. And that's no different from sometimes how doctors present a case to their, or residents present a case to their doctors. They will talk to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, what we're trying to do is basically two different, on two different tangents. First, there is no hardware. 
you can you can download the app and use it, or you can just log into the website and use it. The first tangent is that you talk to Suki more and more, it gets more and more automated, and there will be a time where you say a few things and Suki has enough to actually do the entire note. And then there'll be a time where all you have to do is say, Suki, pay attention and have a conversation with the patient. And sure, we may not be able to build 100% of the note, but we might be able to do 40% or 50%. And if we do just that, that's 50% less work for the doctor because cognitively, when you're dictating a note, you're just reciting what you already did once before. So there is one tangent, which is proactive uh, Alexa-like interaction to this completely ambient. You can just kind of ask it to pay attention and do things. The That's second kind of like, yeah, the second kind of like uh, feature set is going to be we are now work focused on note creation, documentation. You know, note creation. Ninety percent of all data created in healthcare is created by the doctor, and most of it is in the structured form through the note. So there's nothing stopping us from then taking a shot at order entries or billing and coding and even like, though I called it intrusive CDI and CDS work later on. Hmm. So the idea is build something that requires less and less interaction is more assist, assistive and invisible and keep adding more and more of the administrative work on top of it so that the doctors can focus on medicine. Very cool. I'm just sitting here trying to think about how to solve this from a technical... I'm sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'll just say, I hope I could explain it in a way that was understandable um, on what the product does. Hey, you know, I think there's enough people that are using Siri and Alexa today where you know, that type of, that type of uh, interaction is, uh, is, is well understood. And, and as I was sort of listening to you, I was trying to think about what the technology components would be Mm -hmm. to create the solution that you've just described. It, I mean, it seems like, um, well, first of all, you're going to have to have voice recognition and, and mm -hmm. obviously uh, a set of um, machine learning algorithms to under, start to understand what the meaning is behind what the doctors say. Yep. Um, and then you're going to have to figure out you know, how to enter that into the EMR. So I'm, I don't want you to give away any, sec any, any trade secrets, but give me a sense of the technology problem uh, from 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 start to from, from from sort of the workflow, from the voice commands. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a very good question. I think uh, I think uh, I, I actually joke with people. Sometimes they they ask me, so okay, fine, you know, you're building an always on voice based digital assistant. What's what's it? Why can't somebody else just build this? And yeah. and, and I usually say okay, let's start, like, you know, you have to find a commodity speech recognition system, then you have to make sure that it's actually layered on with medical knowledge so that it can be focused on medicine. Then you have to build a natural language parsing system so we can extract the words. Then you need to build a natural language understanding system so that you can understand the meaning of those words. Then you need machine learning system that will learn from the mistakes that the system will make and keep making it smarter. Then you have to put this into a consumer-grade app infrastructure then you have to have multi-tenancy and deployed across large health systems in such a way that it's consistent and reliable. And then you need HIPAA compliance. And when you have all of this, you can do a pilot. Right. Okay. So, it's a piece so, of cake. So, sorry? I said it's a piece of cake. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. and don't forget, then you've <laughs> no, got to no. figure out how to do it, you know, inter interface with whatever EMR, right? I, I'm guessing. Yeah, so. And in fact, I missed that. You're right. You know, and then you have to take the output of that and make sure that you can interface it with the EMR, where 
depending on which EMR it is, it's a lot of grunge work that you have to do to actually get some of this stuff done. So the 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 uh, first of all, I think I will repeat what I said earlier, which is that you have to build 10x the amount of engineering and product in healthcare to just basically start compared to most other fields. Um, second, I think that uh, the real challenge here is that most of the tech exists. You know, you can actually build voice commands. You can understand them. You can figure out how to actually take large streaming uh, voice text and figure out what the meaning of those things is. There has been enough products in the market that actually can do these things. The real challenge is twofold. One, um, understanding the intent and meaning of what a doctor does is not just the equivalent of understanding English. Mm-hmm. You have to actually have a sense of the workflow for doctor in a much more visceral way than you would have had if you just took an Alexa and asked you to play a, 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 a song. Okay, so there is a very important and uh, existential user empathy angle that most people miss. They think that technology is where all the hard work is. I actually think the hard work is usually in understanding what the user workflows are like. Uh, and so that's actually very, very critical. Second, uh, and this makes it actually all the more harder, is that there is no margin for error, okay? If I was actually working in any other field, a typical sales field, enterprise field, you know, building something with a digital assistant, sure, you know, your accuracy is something, um, you know, 85, 90%, it still can make a difference. People are, you know, you, you ask, you know, your Google to play some music for you once in a while, it gets it wrong, it doesn't hurt you. But in healthcare, the person sitting in front of a patient, they cannot be interrupted. They cannot be, they, the, the, the information cannot be wrong. You cannot have a situation where the doctor uh, could not now focus on the patient because they're worried about this uh, cognitively about what's coming through. So I think combining understanding the user with the fact that you actually really do have to be very, very accurate makes it a very, very difficult challenge. Mm-hmm. But if you can then put it together, uh, it also creates an, a very strong moat. And so the, as you call trade secrets or differentiators, differentiators to me are basically the obvious. Uh, can you understand the user? And uh, a deep understanding of the fact that uh, there is no margin for error. Do, um, did you find yourself having to focus on uh, certain specialties as a just just be, so you can get the um, the medical language right, or were you able to apply go after everything at once? Yeah, you know it's interesting. When we started the company, we thought you know we'll have to start with a certain special, couple of specialities and then see if we have to do something else. Um, and then it turned out. But actually, it's fine. We can actually take a shot at uh, a few different specialities, and um, you know, and take and and uh, and keep going because it turns out that the number of words used in the universe of medicine are way way smaller than the number of words used in the world. So actually, it's a much more defined problem, uh, and it doesn't really have to be speciality focused. Um, then we thought, okay, well, uh, it may be that we have to uh, focus on. A uh, little bit on the kind of doctor that we have to work with, you know, somebody who's uh, younger versus somebody who's much more mature and seasoned, and uh, and they may have different uh, ways they want to use the product. Uh, but what what we found out is that actually the young folks obviously like technology and adopt it very fast. Uh, the folks who have been in the market for a long time uh, actually do not like typing, and so voice actually turns out to be natural for them too. So. 
uh, that didn't turn out to be something that uh, we had to segment on. Uh, the thing that we ended up actually having to segment on is is what I was calling out earlier, user workflows. Um, there are four major kinds of workflows that we have seen. One is ambulatory, subsurgical specialities, uh, you know, where uh, a person comes in, has an issue, comes a few times over, and then ultimately it's resolved. Then there is primary care, uh, where there are large, diverse kinds of issues and uh, you meet, but the person is the same because the patient keeps coming for a variety of different things. Uh, then there's urgent care where there's no context of the person and no con context of the issue, and you just kind of basically have a transactional relationship. And then you have hospitalists uh, where you're doing rounds and meeting the patients for a concentrated period of time, but in a different workflow than you would if you were in an ambulatory setting. And so our product uh, actually has to spend a lot more time thinking of that workflow. And today we work very well with ambulatory, subsurgical specialities. Primary care has started using us. Urgent care, we have started testing the product, and I think we have some pilots and early work to do before we can build a product that's right for um, hospitalists. Um, so, so the segmentation of the product is on workflows and types of doctors and not necessarily specialities. Awesome. So, so, so yeah, let's uh, t tell me how, how are you doing? So are you in, in – uh, are, you, are you out in the market today? How are you doing in terms of customer acquisition? Where where is the business? Yeah, yeah, I understand. I think uh, uh, it's a good question. We are twenty months in. Mm -hmm. uh, in April two thousand seventeen, we started the company. Uh, our investors were uh, Brian Roberts from Van Rock, who you know I'm sure you know is probably the best healthcare investor in the, in the town. Um, behind Athena, Accolade, Ali Day, Doctors on Demand, Grand Rounds, mm -hmm. uh, so many other interesting companies. Um, we uh, we built the first version of the product in October 2017, deployed it with a, a doctor, uh, didn't get kicked out, survived. Uh, pilot number two happened in December of 2017 in a 40-doc orthopedic setup. Um, somewhere in about early part of last year, uh, we started seeing a little bit of a glimmer of hope of product market fit. We could see that we were saving doctors time. They were enjoying the product. And there were other docs around them who were starting to ask, so what's that? I want to try, try Suki too. And so we raised another round somewhere in the middle of last year uh, and scaled the team. Uh, first revenue came in in November, uh, which is about three months ago. Congratulations. So now obviously, you know, thank you. Now, once somebody pays for your product, then you know you have a company. So, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, but now you've got the unfortunate uh, problem of having customers, right? So. Yes, well, you know, this is what you were aspiring for. So, um, no, you're very right. So, I think now, you know, uh, revenue is increasing month by month. Uh, we have an ever increasing footprint of small and independent practices across the country. Uh, they, they find us online, they come on. Uh, we basically give them a, a demo video, they take a look at it. We give them a two week free trial. It takes us 15 minutes on a video hangout to help them train period. And they're off to the races, and after two weeks, like, customers. So, so we have a small but very exciting group of uh, uh, independent practices that come on daily uh, and increasing. And then uh, the other side of the business, we have uh, we haven't announced this broadly yet, but we have about two very very large enterprises. Uh, one where we're at the cusp of commercial contracting and deploying uh, across their physicians, and another one that we're going to start pilots with. So. Uh, so our hands are full, enough on the sales funnel. 
the product actually uh, is getting better by the day. And uh, you know, if you're in town at some point, I would love to give you a demo. And more importantly, show the video so you can uh, you can see how it works. Uh, and the team's about forty odd people, and we are all based in Redwood City. Terrific. So, um, so that's that's where things are with the company. Well, great. Well, thanks for joining me. Um, where can people find out more about you? Website, Twitter, Facebook, yeah, yeah, LinkedIn. What are you guys up to there? Yeah, just, you know, I mean, if you like what you see, obviously search for Suki, S-U-K-I on Google. Um, uh, our website is suki.ai, S-U-K-I dot A-I. If you go there, you can fill out a form and we can send you a video demo so you can take a look at the product. Um, you know, you can obviously find us on on Twitter at Suki HQ and on LinkedIn at Suki. Um, so, you know, feel free to, you know, uh, look us up. Um, we are still early. Uh, we have a long way to go, but hopefully because of the support of people like you, Steve, we, we stand a chance, you know, we'll come continue building it. Terrific. Thanks for, thanks for talking with me today. I really enjoyed uh, t- talking to you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Steve. Well, that is a wrap. Thanks for joining us on the Breaking Health Podcast. Please, if you would, let us know how we're doing. Give us a rating on iTunes. Reach out to Steve or me. Uh, We're both on Twitter. You can find me at MedTechTom. You can find Steve at Steve underscore Krupa. Krupa is spelled K-R-U-P-A. You can email me. My email is Tom at Healthogy.com. That's health, followed by the letters E-G-Y dot com. Healthogy, of course, is a producer of this great podcast. We also, as I mentioned on the break, put out the Healthcare is Hard podcast. I host the MedTech Talk podcast and the OIS podcast, and we also have the Aesthetics Innovators podcast. So we've got a whole network of podcasts for you. So much to choose from. Go to iTunes or healthogy.com to check them out and tune in in two weeks for another great tale of innovation here at this here podcast, the Breaking Health podcast. If you like it, subscribe. If you like it, tell your friends and join us next time. Steve Krupa will be back. <laughs>